What constitutes good chili? Think about it. What are the ingredients of a good chili? You know, the, the, the question people ask is, well, does it, first thing, is it spicy or not? Some like it really hot, some like it very mild. Uh, what kind of vegetables are to be included in this? Uh, does it have beans or not? Uh, but perhaps the most important question, does it have noodles in it or not? Uh, and if it does have noodles, what kind of noodles? Macaroni noodles or spaghetti noodles? And how many noodles? You know, there are a lot of different ideas. When somebody says, that's good chili, what makes it good chili? You know, there are also a lot of disputes over what constitutes a good worship service as well. When you hear somebody say, we had a really good worship service today, what are the ingredients to that? A lot of disputes today over that. When you hear worship, people say, was the music really good? Was the music contemporary? Was it new songs? Was it old songs? Was it loud and, and emotional? Was it calm and subdued? Uh, preaching, was there preaching involved? Uh, what kind of, it must have been a very short sermon if it was a good service, right? Uh, you know, the emotion involved, was it a very emotional service? Were decisions made public? or What constitutes, what are the, what are the ingredients of a good worship service? I believe as a church, we must follow God's, rep, God's recipe to worship Him the way that He desires and the way that He deserves. Let's try not to get cute with the recipe and add things that maybe shouldn't be added and take away things that are very important. As a church, let's follow God's recipe to have biblical worship and to worship God in the way that He desires and the way that He deserves. I want to invite you to stand with me if you are able this morning in reverence for the reading of God's holy word. From Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 40, these words were written by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place of the apostles. and All those who had believed were together and had all things in common, began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for uh, your presence that is here today. We thank you, God, for your word in which, God, you have revealed yourself to us. We are not left to try to imagine or speculate who you are and what you expect but God you have laid that out for us in writing via the inspiration of the Spirit so Father I pray that we would come to your word today with that very mindset this is God's word we would treat it with reverence we would treat it with authority submitting our lives submitting our church 
underneath its teachings. Father, we pray you would speak to us, speak to hearts. Maybe someone here needs to make a decision. Maybe someone here is lost and needs salvation. I pray, God, speak to them uh, through the power of your Spirit, the power of your Word. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Mentioned our church's mission statement uh, at the outset of our service today that we exist to glorify God. You know, that is the essence of worship, giving God the glory He deserves. How are we to do that? We do that by obeying, by obeying the great commandments, love God, love people. Fulfilling the great commission, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. We do this not just here, but around the world. Winchester, Kentucky, throughout the world. We are called to fulfill those purposes. The early church focused on several things that enabled them to fulfill their calling and their purpose. We looked at prayer, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and today we, we bring our series to a conclusion by looking at the purpose of worship. Now worship really means ascribing to God the worth He deserves. Focusing on the worthiness of God. Now, we as individuals are called to worship God personally. But we also, as believers, are called to worship God corporately in a, in a worship service, in a, in a setting designed for that. That's what we are focusing on today in our, in our message is corporate worship in the book of Acts. What did that look like? As we see the early church praising God and we see the early church giving God the glory in corporate settings, believers together, what were the ingredients of their worship services? Well, first of all, we see in chapter 2, we just read, we are to assemble for worship. Assemble for worship. It's important to gather for corporate worship. book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25 says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves, as some have been known to do. We are called as God's people to gather for the purpose of worship. I've shared with you before that when we come together as a church family, this is a dress rehearsal for what we will be doing in glory, is it not? We will be together as God's people, the church, all believers, all places, all ages, together in heaven, praising God. So when we come together, we are practicing, in essence, what we will be doing in glory. No Lone Ranger Christians in the book of Acts when they came to faith in Christ, they were incorporated into a local congregation where we can see some of these aspects of worship taking place. We are to come prepared for worship by worshiping God individually throughout the week so that as we gather, it's the culmination of our worship week. We are to assemble for worship but also we are to pray during worship. Pray during worship. In chapter 4, verse 24 through 30, we see the early church gathering for prayer. And as they prayed, they lifted their voice to God in one accord, in unity, praising Him as Creator. O Lord, it is You who made the heavens and the earth and see all that's in them. Praising God for His his providence, his control over creation. He says, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David said, why did the nations rage and the peoples devise futile things? Kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers gathered together against the, 
Lord and against his Christ. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Now this is all prayer. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take notes of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with boldness. While you extend your hand to heal, signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and all were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak the word of God with boldness and so through prayer praising God as creator praising God as uh, the, the one who is in control the supplier praising God as the redeemer through prayer the way the early church prayed that is how we are to pray we are to thirdly testify during worship testify verse or chapter 14 verse 27 and 28 says, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together. Do you see this common theme of gathering together, the importance of coming into one place as believers? When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they spent a long time with the disciples coming together and and testifying, proclaiming all that God has done. Speaking of how we see God at work in our lives and in the life of the church. It is a crucial element of worship. That's why I added into our worship gatherings the opportunity to testify, to share a word, to give God praise and glory for what He has done. Testifying Fourthly, we are to preach during worship. We are to preach. We see that in the early church, chapter 15, verse 30 through 35. It says, So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren, strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message, with a lengthy message <laughs> verse 33 it says after they had spent time there they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out but it, good, it seemed good to Silas to remain there but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord what was it they were preaching it wasn't their ideas. They weren't preaching pop psychology. They weren't preaching the, the latest opinions about political goings-on. It says they were preaching the Word of the Lord. If the Word of the Lord is not in the message, it is not preaching. Preaching is explaining and applying what God says. Preaching, I believe, is the most essential component to a worship service. Why is that? Because preaching is the time in which God speaks to us, in which God reveals to us who He is and what He demands from us. Preaching must be a valuable, must be an essential part 
of what we are doing as a church. Preaching is spiritual warfare. Preaching is taking up the sword of the Spirit, according to Paul, Ephesians 6. Preaching is taking the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and slicing away at the enemy and his schemes. Slicing away the, the chains that bind unbelievers. Slicing away the imperfections. The Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing to the deepest place. Separating joint from marrow. Bone from marrow. Discerning the intentions of the heart. It is preaching. The early church focused on that. And we, as we gather as believers must be focused on that also. Preach during worship. We are to also sing during worship. Sing. That's the most people when they think of worship, it's the first thing they think of is singing. And it, it is a vital component to what we are to do as we gather together. We've done that this morning. And it is the right thing to do. Chapter sixteen, verse twenty five. Now this isn't necessarily a official gathered church service so to speak but we do have believers here in a mode and a mindset of giving God worship together chapter 16 verse 25 says but about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God the prisoners were listening to them they were in prison they were in jail yesterday we had a uh, our last uh, planning session for uh, Mission Fest, for Family Fest, as an association. And Twyla Sheffield was sharing with us that all the different ministry projects that will be going on uh, through our churches and, and through some of the local ministries. And she shared that there would be a specific ministry going on at one of the local jails. And she said, well, we won't be necessarily in the jails, but we will be ministering at the jails. Brother Tim Christopher said, well, Twala, I can tell you how you can get into the jails. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's what she had in mind. Once you go in that way, you may not get out for quite some time. But here, Paul and Silas were arrested for being Christians, and they were in jail. They were in prison. And that, what were they doing? They were singing hymns of praise to God. And it says the other prisoners were listening. You see, music is a, is a powerful avenue for the truth of God and His Word. There's a lot of debate about music today in churches, and really, that's, I think it's very silly. A lot of people have their preferences about what they believe music is and should be in church. But the bottom line to me is, it, does it glorify God and is the lyrics Christ-centered and God-honoring? Because I believe, as, as the, the, the focus lately in some churches being seeker-driven, we want to gear everything that happens in our worship services to, to, to uh, speak to and to compel unbelievers to come to Christ. Everything we ought to do in worship ought to be geared with those folks in mind that are lost. But what we see going on here as Paul and Silas were just praising God, the unbelievers 
were hearing and they were taking notes. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when unbelievers come into our worship service, if we are truly praising and worshiping God, they will be compelled by biblical worship to come to faith in Christ, to repent and trust in Him. So we are to sing during worship services. We sing with an audience of one. We sing to God. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. It don't have to be a good noise as long as it's full of joy. Because it doesn't matter if the next person thinks you're tone deaf or not. It don't matter. If your heart's right with God and you are praising the Lord, make a joyful noise. It's an audience of one, as I said. But as we sing and worship God with a heart geared towards Him, unbelievers will be impacted. And I believe they will be intrigued by what they hear. Sing during worship. Number six, we're to baptize during worship service. And uh, it's a good thing because that's what we just did this morning. So we're on the right track there. Baptize during worship. Chapter 16, verse 31. And this happened during the same time Paul and Silas were in prison and singing and praising God. And miraculously, the doors of the prison were open. The jailer suspected the prisoners were going to escape, and so he committed it to his mind. He said, I'm just going to take my own life because as a Roman soldier, the prisoners escape. It's your life for theirs. He thought all hope was lost, but Paul cried out to him and said, no, 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 don't do that. We're still here. In verse 30, it says, After he brought them out, he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What did he know about being saved? Why, how did he know he needed to be saved? What, where did this all come? It came from the singing, did it not? He heard their songs of praise. They weren't singing to him. They were singing to God. But yet, he was impacted. Verse 31, they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's faith. As Steve read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it's by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, have faith in God, you will be saved. It says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They told him the gospel, the good news, to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Baptism, as I said earlier, is a wonderful depiction, a, 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 a picture of what Christ has done for us and what we are putting our faith in. Historical reality of his death and resurrection. The present reality that we have been transformed, we have been born again. The future reality that we are longing for and expecting his return. Baptized during worship. Number seven, persuade during worship. We are called to persuade. Now I mentioned earlier the emphasis on, on gearing worship services towards unbelievers so that they might become Christians. And I said our orientation is not towards the unbeliever. Our orientation ought to be to God primarily. We're here to worship God. However, an aspect of that I do believe as we are to seek to persuade men and women 
to be saved from this perverse generation, to be saved from the wrath and the judgment that is to come. Only by trusting in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Chapter 17, verse 1 through 4, it says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul was very Scripture and Word-centered when it came to gathering and worship, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. We have an avenue here into a, a, a segment of Paul's sermon. Preaching and explaining from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is God's anointed Savior. Verse 4 it says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. It was through the sharing of the gospel that these men and women were persuaded. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. As we preach and as we sing and as we pray and all that we do in worship, if it is Christ-centered and the gospel is the focus, through that we are persuading. We are, we are imploring. We are, we are drawing and calling for decisions. Because it is only through expressed and explicit trust in Jesus that one will be saved. It is only by faith in God's way. God says, you come to me, you're going to come to me on my terms. We don't get to choose our path to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, but they come through me. It is through Jesus and Him alone. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, there is no other name given on earth by which men can be saved. It is Jesus, folks. And we are persuading you because the judgment is coming. One day we will all stand before the Lord and give an account. And the only hope you have, the only hope any of us have, is Jesus Christ. His person and His work on your behalf. He did for you what you could not do for yourself. He satisfied all of God's righteous requirements in the law. He died as a penalty for your sin. He was raised as vindication from the Father, as payment in full, accomplishing what you and I could never do on our own. We persuade. We extend the gospel call and we persuade. And I persuade you in the name of Jesus. Surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. That is the only way for you to be saved. It's not my opinion, not my idea, not just church doctrine. It's straight from the Word of God, folks. Surrender to Jesus. Give Him your life. Make Him your Lord. Acknowledge Him. He is your Lord. Acknowledge Him now before it is too late. 
One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let that be this side of eternity and be saved. And not the other side of eternity and be condemned. We persuade during worship and finally we glorify God in worship. And essentially that's what worship is. There's a definition. It's glorify God. That's God's purpose for man. That's why, that's why God created you. That's why God created anything. To magnify and glorify His greatness. And we say, well, that sounds kind of arrogant on God's behalf. But the fact of the matter is, there is none greater than God. And we give glory to anything else. We're giving glory to something that's less than the best. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to receive the blessings of glorifying the one who is greater than all. Chapter 21, verse 17 through 20. It says, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. That's what we are to do in worship. We come together. We see what God is doing. We hear all that God is doing. And we give Him the glory He deserves. We give Him the glory He demands. After all, it's the proper response of the creature to the Creator. Worship and glory. It's a proper response of the redeemed to the Redeemer. Praise and glory. We focus on God because God deserves it. And worship, it's not about contemporary, traditional, blended. It's not about all these things seeker-driven, seeker-sensitive. Worship is about focusing on God. Focusing on God and let the chips fall as God leads them to fall. Give Him the glory to focus on any of these other things, as important as they are to worship, to focus on these things is idolatry. Our focus is on God. And we glorify Him through these channels. But to make these things the aspect of our worship is idolatry. Let's glorify God. We've looked at worship in the early church, the book of Acts. Now, let's look at worship here at Ephesus. We, we schedule worship services, do we not? We do that Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. Our prayer meeting, I believe that's worship. Wednesday night is business meeting. And those of you all who come to the business meetings, you all know the way I open our business meetings in prayer. What do I say a business meeting is? It is a worship service because we are focusing on what God has done for us and we are focusing on how we can worship God through all the resources He has given us. Worship services, uh, a business meeting is a worship service because we focus on God through that. So we have, we schedule worship services, we attend worship services. There may be some debate about how faithful Maybe we are in attending worship services, but we do schedule them and we do attend them. The question is, do we participate 
in worship? Or do we come and just watch what everybody's doing? We come and just listen to what everybody's doing? We just kind of come in, leave? Or are we participating? Are we actively involved? In are, are we spectating or are we participating? Because God has brought you to this place today. He wants you to actively worship Him. He wants you to engage in glorifying Him. In whatever way that falls out. Whether it be standing on the platform, leading in worship, playing an instrument, collecting an offering, offering a prayer, or just being in your pew engaged in what God is doing. Worship is not passive. Worship is active. And the reason why a lot of folks come to church and they don't actively worship God on Sundays or on Wednesdays is because they're not actively worshiping God on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We just expect, well, I'll show up during the service and just kind of flip the switch and enter into worship God mode. And the service concludes, there's an amen, I'll flip the switch off and go about the rest of my life. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about worshiping God the way He demands and the way He deserves 24-7. And then we come together, we assemble together, and it is the highlight of your worship week, your worship experience. So we assemble together. You know, when seeking answers, it's always best to have a, a true expert you can turn to. Someone who knows more about the matter than you do. For example, if I was looking into building a house or framing a house or doing construction, I'd go ask Brother Floyd or Brother Josh. If I was wanting to, to, to bake a cake, I would go see Miss Nancy Graham or, or Miss some of the, the other wonderful ladies we have that, that are very good cooks and bakers in our church. If I was interested in farming, I'd go see Brother Frank, Brother Steve, or some others. You know, we think about worship. Wouldn't it be great if there was an expert, a, a worship guru, who we could go to with our questions and say, is this true worship? Or is it, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Wouldn't it be great if somebody authoritatively spoke about what worship was? John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus speaks about worship. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We come to God, we are worshiping him in spirit and truth. We are worshiping him in truth. We are worshiping God in the way that he has prescribed. How is God prescribed? We come to God's word and we read. Okay, this is what God expects. This is what pleases God in corporate worship. We come to Him in truth, but we also come to Him in spirits. We come to Him actively engaged. You see, worship goes beyond just taking in the facts. Worship comes into living it out. To living it out. To engaging our emotions and our entire being into praise. Worship God in spirit and truth. To worship God without the truth is heresy. To worship God without the Spirit is hypocrisy. It's nothing more than just going through the motions. 
There may be somebody here who fits into that category. Maybe you've been in church for an extended period of time. Maybe you've been in church your entire life and all you've been doing has been going through the motions. You've been worshiping God maybe in truth, but you've not been worshiping God in spirits. And the reason why is because you don't have the spirits. You've never truly been born again. Today is the day where you can settle that. Today is, the, is God's divine opportunity for you. As you have been persuaded through all that has been taking place, through witnessing the baptisms, if you can't be moved by that, by hearing the prayers, by seeing the offerings collected, the sacrifice being made for God, hearing, hearing the Word of God proclaimed, hearing the Word sung through song, Maybe through that, God has touched you. And God is leading you. And God has revealed to you there is something missing in your worship. And that something that is missing is the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful opportunity God has given you today to come to Him through faith in Christ, through the way He has prescribed. As you think about these ingredients, they're all essential Prayer, testimony, preaching, singing, baptizing, persuading, glorifying God. All essential components to our worship. We think about the purposes of the church we've been looking at. It all began with prayer. That's where we find the power and the direction of God. And everything that we do as a church ought to be an aspect of worship. We evangelize and we share the gospel to worship God a love for God and love for neighbor we disciple people who come to Christ as a, as, a, as a way to worship God see them grow in their faith and their service to the Lord we fellowship we come together as we often can as believers to glorify God as we unite in Christ we serve we minister in the name of Jesus so that his church can be served and we worship God through all of this we worship God specifically and explicitly we come to him in the way he has prescribed for us to come to him as a church we must follow God's direction as a church we must follow God's recipe for worship in a way that he desires and in the way that He deserves. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank